You're listening to Moments in the Word, brought to you by Lighthouse Gospel Ministries. I say we'll get right into the preaching because you never know how long I'm going to preach for. Proverbs chapter 8. I preached last Sunday in Los Angeles, and I went there completely convinced I would preach a very short sermon, and I preached a very long sermon. So, But they knew what they had coming. They, they knew what to expect. Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to talk about wisdom personified this evening. Wisdom personified. We see in Proverbs several times wisdom and folly personified, don't we? As if they're people. But chapter 8 is a special chapter, I think, in how it deals with this this topic. So uh, Proverbs chapter 8, and we're going to read the whole chapter uh, because it's good to read it together. Uh, I'm going to go verse by verse in in a minute. And call attention to each verse, but I want to read, I want you to see how it all flows together as we go through. So it's quite a bit of reading, but we're going to to get through it. Chapter 8, verse 1, down to the end of the chapter. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing frowned, or forward, or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction... And not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mind and sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me, kings reign. And princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures." The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his ways, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there was no no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. For he... Or when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the compass upon the face of the of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed 
is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Heavenly Father, just thank you again for this time. As we get into this chapter, Lord, I pray that you give us great wisdom tonight. I pray that you'd search our hearts, Lord, try our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would draw us nearer to you, Lord. I pray that we would leave here, Lord, uh, with a deeper knowledge of your will for our lives, a deeper love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's written to know wisdom, right? That's in the very beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, verses 1 and 2, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. So we see wisdom personified throughout the book of Proverbs. But in chapter 8, we see wisdom not just as a person, but as a divine person. First uh, Corinthians one twenty four says, but, "But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God." So not only is wisdom personified, but wisdom is personified as the person of Jesus Christ, a divine person. When we see wisdom in Proverbs, it means uh, when we see the word wisdom in Proverbs, it means to understand Christ. That's what it means. When we heed the cry and counsel of wisdom, we're heeding the cry and counsel of Christ. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, speaking of Jesus, of course. So let's get into our text. We're going to take it verse by verse and kind of unpack why wisdom in this passage is personifying Christ. Okay, so verse 1, verse 1. I'll have to follow along over here because I don't have it in my notes here. Doth not wisdom cry and understand, and understanding put forth her voice. So Christ or wisdom and understanding, they cry or proclaim, okay? God has had his voice in this world since the very beginning. That's what it says. Wisdom cries out. Understanding cries out. It's speaking of the word of God going forth. It's speaking to us. It's speaking to people. John 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. I preached a few months ago on that passage of Scripture in John chapter 1, right? And so it says, uh, he was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Okay? This is not speaking of the incarnation. This is not speaking of Christ born in the flesh. Because in John 1, that comes later in the text. That comes in verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, right? So how was he in the world? The world was made by him. He was in the world, and the world knew him not. Well, that he was in the world through the witness of nature, right? The Bible testifies that nature is a witness, right? The stars declare the glory of God, right? So, the, so mankind can look at nature and see the work of God. Okay, he spoke in other ways. He spoke to people. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham. He called Abraham out. So he had a witness in the world all the time. And then it says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Who are his own? That's the people of Israel, right? He called out Abraham. He established a nation of Israel and he appeared to them. How did he appear to them? Well, through prophets. He appeared in, through what? Through the, 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 the cloud by night, the fire by day. Those were uh, appearances, right, of the Shekinah glory, the glory of Christ, right, the glory of God. Uh, he appeared in the burning bush. He appeared in the law. He appeared in the tabernacle and the temple, right? He appeared in the sacrifices every year. Christ was in those sacrifices because they were pointing to him. All of the, the, the washings and baptisms and all those, all those things, the circumcision, all those things pointed to Christ. His witness was there, but they didn't know him. That's wisdom crying out. That's understanding crying out, but we weren't perceiving it. 
I say we, the Jews, weren't perceiving it, but mankind as a whole. The witness has been there since the garden, right? Nature has testified to Christ every day since creation, and men don't heed that cry of wisdom, that cry that comes out uh, from wisdom, from Christ. Verse 2, she standeth in the top of high places, by the way, uh, in the places of the paths. The proclamation of God's wisdom has been on the top of mountains. What does that mean? on the top of mountains. It means it wasn't hidden. It was for all to hear. It was, it, was, it was broadcast loud and clear, the proclamation of God. He didn't do this stuff secretly. He didn't do this stuff in a corner or in a closet or covered up. He is always loud and clear. From the stars in the sky, the sun, the moon, and all these witnesses, they are bold witnesses. There is a creator. There is a God out there. When he came to Israel, he didn't come in some secret thing, right? He came in those sacrifices that were going on on the Temple Mount, right there on the top of Jerusalem. You know how bad that city must have smelled from the continual sacrifices going on, the blood being shed? You could be anywhere in Jerusalem and you could smell that smell of those sacrifices, right? It was a bold cry that God was there. There was a sacrifice. There was a sin. There was an atonement that had to be made. His cry was loud. It was for all the people to know. It was so loud, if you remember, the Philistines heard it, didn't they? Right when they took the Ark of the Covenant and they begin to be sick and, and have problems, they said, let's take this thing back, right? We've offended the God of Israel. He was loud. It wasn't secret. It wasn't secret. The proclamation of God has been on the tops of the high places, meaning not hidden or secret, but open for all to hear. In the paths, meaning where the people are. On the roadways, the prophets stood in the streets and along the roads preaching the word of God to the people. Verse 3, she cried at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. What is at the gates of the city in the Old Testament? What, what does that bring to mind? Judicial law, right? The elders of the city would meet in the gate to pass judgment, to make laws. So we see wisdom, we see Christ in the law of Moses, don't we? As that law was meted out at the gates of the city. And he says, not only at the gates, but at the doors. I think this, is a, this, this takes us to the temple as the teaching of the law went out. I think it takes us to, the, to their homes where they were, they were commanded to put the commandments of God on their doorposts, right? In other words, the cry of God had gone out. It had gone out in spoken word. It had gone out in natural witness. It had gone out from the temple and the tabernacle and the synagogues. It had gone out in the homes of the people of God who posted the law of God on their doorposts. Verse 4. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. He's not calling to angels. Angels get no savior. Angels get no forgiveness. Only men get forgiveness. Only men are offered salvation, right? He, his voice doesn't go out to the angels. His voice comes out to us to reveal him to us. Verse 5, O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. We see a phrase in the New Testament a couple of times. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? We see it, I think, in the Gospels a few times. We see it in the book of Revelation a few times. It's God who grants ears to hear. And it's God who opens the heart of people. It's God who opens our eyes to our sin. We are all simple, as Proverbs says. Dumb, sheep. Simple. We don't have wisdom. We don't have the light of God in our lives. 
right? We wander around this world blind and dumb. Just That's what the unsaved world is doing. They're wandering around, seeking for happiness, groping in the dark for something to fulfill them, something to make their life worth living. When they can't find it, and they have no hope beyond this life, what do they do? Well, they turn to suicide, right? Why not? There's nothing worth living for. There's nothing after death. They're wandering and groping in hopelessness because they're, they're blind. They're simple. And we all were, weren't we? Until God opened our understanding and brought us to him. Dumb, wandering sheep without the wisdom of God. We have the heart of fools. Only God can do a work creating in us understanding. That's why he says, oh, ye simple, understand wisdom. And ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, as a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. God does that work, doesn't he? He removes that heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. I remember my grandmother's testimony. Uh, it's too long to get into the whole thing, but uh, she wasn't a Christian. And uh, my mom had gotten to the point where she might, she'd been dating my dad. And my mom's parents didn't like him. And then she married him. And it caused friction between my mom and my grandmother. Okay, To the point where they weren't even really talking. My grandmother... She was invited to go to church by her dog groomer, and uh, she went to church, and the pastor uh, there was teaching, she went for Sunday school, and the pastor was teaching on Moses and Pharaoh, and how Pharaoh hardened his heart. And my grandma describes this, really her salvation experience, where she says, suddenly my eyes were opened, and I understood that I had been hardening my heart against God and against my family, and instantly, instantly, that stony heart that, that she recognized was gone. And she was able to reconcile with my mother, and she was able to, 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 to bring my mother into church and all that. But the point being, she had this hard heart, and the more she leaned into her hard heart, the harder it got. You know why? Because she couldn't unharden her heart. You know why? Because she was a fool. She was simple, a dumb sheep wandering around in the darkness of this world, groping around. Suddenly, under the preaching of the gospel, it didn't matter who was right or who was wrong. All she knew was, I'm wrong. Even if I'm right in principle, I'm wrong in how I've been acting. Where did that realization come from? It came from the work of God, right? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. God has to do that work. God has to reveal that to us. Verse 6, here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. Excellent things like the grace and mercy of God. That's what Jesus Christ brings to us when he speaks to us. Verse 7, for my mouth shall speak truth, and my wicked, my wicked, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Christ is truth. He, wisdom here is, is the personification of wisdom in this chapter is Christ, but Christ is the personification of truth, right? 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. You and I can tell the truth. Jesus is truth. Okay? That's what he is. He embodies truth. He cannot lie. He cannot deceive. He can only be truthful. He can only be truthful. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. This is wisdom speaking, but it's Christ. It's wisdom as Christ, or say Christ as wisdom speaking to us. Verse 8 and 9. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. The ways, wisdom, and knowledge of Christ. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong thing. Christ perfectly personifies righteousness. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. So Christ perfectly personifies truth. Christ perfectly personifies wisdom. Christ perfectly personifies righteousness. In other words, you and I can do righteously, right? He is righteousness. It flows from his person, right? That's how we have to think about God, right? So we, we don't self-exist, do we? We rely on something outside of us for our existence. We rely on God for our existence, right? He created us. He gives us life. We live and move and have our being in him. Okay, so since we're not self-existing, we don't have any of these qualities in and of ourselves. We only have that which we receive from God. And God is those things. So we're commanded to love. God is love. It's part of who he is. We're called to establish justice. He is justice. He is just. It flows from his nature. We're called to be honest. He is truth, right? We're called to be gracious. He is grace, right? So all these things flow from who he is. He is the perfect personification of all these things. Those who walk in his words walk in righteousness because his words lead to righteousness because they lead to him from whom righteousness comes, if that makes sense. Verse 10 and 11. Receive my instructions. This is wisdom talking still. Receive my instructions and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it, to wisdom. Whose wisdom, right? Christ. The ways, wisdom, and knowledge of Christ are far more valuable than any earthly treasure. This is why we see the repeated call in the New Testament to give up our lives and to follow him, right? To take up our cross and follow him. Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. If anyone come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and husband and sister, he cannot be my disciple. Why? Because Christ is more valuable than family relationships, okay? Christ is more valuable than money. That's why he... If man doesn't give up all he has, he cannot be my disciple, right? We can't seek after wealth and Christ because both demand our allegiance. Christ demands our full allegiance, and this world demands our full allegiance. You understand that? So the repeated call in the New Testament is, <clears throat> leave those things and follow me. Leave those things, right? The treasure hidden in the field. I love that, that, that parable, right? The man buys the field because he knows there's a treasure in it. 
Nobody else knows that. So they look at this man buying this useless field, and they say, what an idiot. What are you doing wasting your money on that useless field? But he knows there's treasure in the field. And so we, we leave this world, and the world looks at Christ, and they go, what are you guys doing? That's an empty field. That's so worthless. What are you wasting your life on that stupid field? But see, we know. We know there's treasure in that field. Treasure greater than rubies. Treasure greater than choice gold and choice silver, right? Better than anything this world can offer is wisdom or Christ. And so we we give our lives to reach that, to gain that treasure. But we have to leave behind the others, okay? Because we can't own the field and own the world at the same time. So we have to sell everything we have here, right? Because I think in the parable it says he sells all that he has to buy that field, right? So we have to give up everything in this world that it offers us to come to Christ to get the treasure that he offers us. That's, that's a choice we have to make. So in verses 10 and 11 here, speaking of wisdom, receive my instructions, not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. You say, why can't I do both? Right? Because it's not just, it's not saying you can't make money and follow Christ. That's not what it's saying. But you can't give yourself to that. Fools give themselves to this world. This world is a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. It's so, 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 so not worth our lives. I mean, people, and I, I love sports, but people give their lives and they invest it into sports. Isn't that crazy? Sports. You know, there's nothing more transient than sports. Nothing more temporary than sports. A couple of years ago, we were at the Super Bowl, and we had these Patriots fans gathered around us with big signs saying, we have a God, his name is Tom Brady. You know where their God is now? Tampa Bay. And they can't cheer for him anymore. He's on a different team. And the fans in Tampa Bay, they think their God is Tom Brady, but in a couple of years, he's not going to be there anymore either. But people are investing their lives into knowing these stats and knowing these facts and and going to these games. They spend thousands of dollars to chase after this thing. That's not going to matter two, three, four, five years from now. Or money. I mean, people give their lives for success and money. And the stock market crashes, and what do they do? They jump out of windows. They shoot themselves in the head. you know why? Because everything they gave themselves for is temporary. And even if that doesn't happen, even if you gain the whole world, even if you gain the biggest house and the nicest car and the prettiest girl, the biggest bank account, you're going to die and somebody else gets all that. And it doesn't matter. It's all temporary. We stood outside of mansions of old celebrities who were dead and gone in Beverly Hills. Their, their, their houses are still there. And somebody else lives there. They don't enjoy it anymore. They're gone. They're in eternity, probably in hell for a lot of them. And all they acquired went to somebody else. It's so temporary. But see, Christ is eternal. That's why wisdom cries out and says, seek after me. I'm the eternal treasure. I'm the one that you're not wasting your life to chase after. That's why Christ personifies wisdom. So I said before, the ways, wisdom, and knowledge of Christ are more valuable than any earthly treasure. This is why the Pharisees couldn't grasp those things. They couldn't grasp the ways, wisdom, and knowledge of Christ because they loved money. They loved position. They loved praise of men. Luke 16, 14, and the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. You guys remember the rich young ruler that came and talked to Jesus, right? 
And Jesus said, what, 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 what do I have to do to eternal, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. Well, he said, well, I've done that. I've kept them since my youth. Then Jesus said, okay, sell all that you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. He wasn't saying that selling all you have given to the poor brings salvation, right? Because he told them you'll have treasure in heaven, not you'll have salvation. But see, Jesus knew the heart of that man. He knew that he was covetous. He loved his wealth. He wouldn't part with his wealth. Now, some people believe that the young man was John Mark. I believe that. And he did get saved later on. And the reason I lean towards being John Mark is because Mark's gospel, when it records that story, is the only one that mentions the little phrase, Jesus beholding him, loved him. And so I think it was John Mark that he was talking about. I think he did get saved later on. But the point being is, he couldn't hold on to his covetousness and the ways of Christ. Can't do it. Cannot do it. Verse 12. Find my place here. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. I honestly, I put this in my notes. I don't know what this verse is talking about. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. We're going to move on. Verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate? The fear of the Lord is defined here as hating evil. What is evil? I said it last Sunday when I was preaching in LA. Sin and evil is anything that violates the nature and character of God. That's what it is. So the fear of the Lord is to what? Hate evil. It's to hate those things that go against the nature and character of God. Uh, hating all things contrary to God's nature. He lists several specific things here. That he hates. He hates pride or the lifting up of self. Remember when he says the seven things, six things I hate and seven are abomination, also in Proverbs? I think twice on there. So twice, I think he has lying twice. I think he has pride is the first thing he hates. Right? I don't know, I have it wrong. I have it wrong. I didn't put the verse in here. In other words, God hates pride. You know why? Because God is the ultimate being who deserves ultimate worship. And anybody who lifts himself up is a creature lifting himself up against the creator. A servant lifting himself up against the master. We should humble ourselves in light of who God is. We should humble ourselves before God, not lift ourselves up, not puff ourselves up with pride, not thinking that we're greater than we actually are. Which, by the way, if we think we're great, then we think we're greater than we actually are. Because the Bible says we're not great, we're sinners. We're by nature the children of wrath. And as Christians, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm no longer a child of wrath. No, no, no. You're a, you're a child of God by grace, something you didn't deserve. And if it's a gift we didn't deserve, then who, we need to puff ourselves up as if we deserved our position. We're only in God's family because he brought us in, not because we earned a spot in, at the table. We are complete beggars who are brought in and added to his family. Who are we to lift ourselves up? The Lord hates pride. He hates arrogance. Arrogance isn't much different than pride, but I, I think the way it's used here, it's speaking of religious arrogance. That is, trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in God. How many people in this world today are religious, but they're not saved? Because they're trusting themselves to save them. They're trusting something they do, or somewhere they go, or a church they attend, or a, a, a sacrament they do, or whatever it is. They're trusting themselves and their righteousness to please God, to appease the wrath of God. That arrogance that God hates, 
Because not only does he love humility and hate pride, he detests the pride that would puff itself up religiously and say, ah, boy, God's lucky to have me. Boy, I'm a good Christian. Boy, everyone should look at me and be like me. Oh, I'm, God's lucky to have me on his team. <laughs> right? How despicable is that? And a forward mouth, which means a mouth given over to disobedience. Verse 14. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Counsel belongs to Christ, as does wisdom. His counsel is the wisdom of God. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest live. The counsel of Christ is the wisdom of God. We be smart to heed the counsel of Christ. Christ is also understanding. We know of God through Christ. He enlightened our understanding to perceive the things of God. He is strength, it says in the verse. He is strength to raise the spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1 You have he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He, he is strong to raise the dead to life again. This is how we're saved. He brings us to life. Did you know that you were once dead in your sins? Did you also know that you didn't bring yourself to life? You didn't become such a good dead person that you were able to come out of the grave and follow Christ? Do you know that? Neither was I. It was Christ that spoke those words of life into us, right? He said when he's on the earth, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth physically, right? But there's a day when he looked at me and he said, Rick, come forth. And I came forth spiritually. It wasn't me. I am completely dependent upon Christ. He did the whole work of salvation here and there as well. He is counsel. He is wisdom. He is strength. Verse 15 and 16. By me, the king, by me kings reign and princes de decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Once again, the, the, by me, the, the me here is wisdom speaking. And that wisdom personified is Christ. And we see further evidence of this by this verse. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. I go to Daniel 4.17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and set it up over the basis of men. i move my notes around a little bit here. I'm going to my handwritten notes now. Who is it that reigns over the kingdom of men? Christ. So when wisdom says, by me kings reign, it's Christ that's speaking. Okay. This should give us great, uh, great hope in this time, doesn't it? Right? There's a lot of, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say this right now, I'm pretty sure in our, our small little gathering here tonight, there's probably not a whole lot of Biden voters. But Joe Biden's president. You know why? Because God willed it to be so. God decreed it to be so. God decided that's how it should be. And you know what? He, he sits in the White House because God put him there, because Christ put him there. Christ is sovereign over the nations. He raises up whom he will. He puts down whom he will. That should humble Joe Biden. That should humble Donald Trump. That should humble anybody who sits in the Congress or sits in the White House, shouldn't it? 
You don't reign because you're good or because you're smart or because you're masterful or because you're well communicated. You sit there in that place of authority because Christ has put you there and you're accountable to him. I'm not worried. I know people who were, who were visibly shaken when Gavin Newsom stayed governor of California. I wasn't. You know why? Because Christ decreed it to be so. Christ decreed for Nero to be over Rome. Christ decreed for the high priest who turned him over to, to Pilate to be the high priest. And God, Christ decreed Pilate to be the governor who sentenced him to death. But he was at perfect peace, right? Because God is sovereign. He's doing something in this world. I'm not saying don't vote. That's fine. Vote. Vote your principles. Vote righteousness. But in the end, Christ is reigning over the nations. Christ is in charge of who is over the nations because he's got a bigger plan in mind than we have. We're thinking the next four years. He's thinking all of eternity. Okay? Take great peace in that. Verse 17. Wisdom speaking again. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. He loves those who are his. Those who love God are loved by God. What a tremendous truth. God loves us. And by the way, we only love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. He set his love on me one time in history. I don't know why. I don't know for what reason, what purpose, but I know this, he did. And as a result of that, I love him. But if everything else falls out from underneath me, I know one thing, God loves me, because he loves his own. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. Those who seek Christ find Christ. Nobody, I posted, I posted a, a, a quote today on Facebook. Nobody in hell ever came to Jesus and had him turn him away. I'm paraphrasing. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. But nobody in hell can say, I came to Jesus and he turned me away. Those who seek him, find him. I remember a, a missionary one time talking to a Jewish man. And the guy was, you know, he was good with the gospel, but he struggled with his dad being in hell. His dad was a faithful Jew, an Orthodox Jew. He goes, he tried to find the truth of God's Messiah for his whole life. Are you telling me that God put him in hell? And the missionary said, if he sincerely sought the truth of God's Messiah, then he found him and he's not in hell. Because the Bible promises those who seek me will find me. What a promise. You say, oh, God loves me. But what about the people out here? Those that seek him, find him. And those who find him, he loves them. What a glorious truth. That calls to mind Acts 17, verse 26. Hath made all of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel, their, feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. He put us where we are for the purpose of us seeking him and finding him. He's not hiding from people. <laughs> He's out in the open. They must seek him. How do they seek him? We have to bring them the message. There are people today who are seeking for Christ who don't know they're seeking for Christ. They haven't put two and two together yet. That's why we take them the message of the gospel. And when they hear that message, they go, that's, 
That's what I'm seeking. That's what I need. That's what's missing. That's what all this has been about. My grandma could look back at that whole bad family situation when she got saved and go, that's what that was all about. That whole thing was to get me to Christ. Because if that hadn't gone on, that sermon on Moses and Pharaoh would have meant nothing to me. That happened to bring this about. But those who seek him find him. And he wants people to find him. He's not hiding. Very important there. Verse 18. Riches and honor are with me. Wisdom speaking again. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. Not earthly wealth. Right? That's fleeting, isn't it? It's not durable. Earthly honor, it's fleeting. It comes and goes. You want proof of that? Look at these statues that are pulled down around the country. Right? They're put up to honor people, right? Now the people are dishonored because of something in the past. Earthly honor is fleeting. Even if they honor you today, 100 years from now, they might find some reason to dishonor you. Right? The wealth and honor of this world are fleeting. But wisdom, Christ here, says riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. In other words, the wealth that Christ brings is not a, a physical wealth. It's not a bank account wealth. It's a durable wealth. It's a wealth that extends into eternity. It's a wealth we can take with us. It's a spiritual wealth. And then he says a durable righteousness. Because you know what's not durable? My righteousness. You know why? Because I sin every single day. If I have to rely on my righteousness to get me to heaven, I'm in so much trouble. But see, I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, don't I? And that is a durable, eternal righteousness because he is righteousness. He doesn't just do righteously. He is righteous. I just do righteously sometimes. And then I fall, right? I sin. But it's not durable. But those who seek him, those who go after him, they have a durable righteousness. You know why? Because they are given his righteousness. So if I stand before God in my own righteousness, not only is my own righteousness tainted by my sinful nature, right, and my fickle heart, and my ever-wandering emotions, but it comes and goes. What if I die at a moment when I'm not perfectly righteous? Right? But no, as a Christian, I have the righteousness of Jesus all the time. So if I'm driving a car and I get angry and yell and cuss at my wife and then crash into a tree and die, you know what I have still? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's durable. It doesn't come and go. It's not fickle like my heart. It doesn't wander. It never, the righteousness of Jesus never wanders after the world like my, my righteousness does. Never does. It's durable. The wealth that Jesus brings is durable. It lasts into eternity. Verse 19. My fruit, wisdom speaking again, my fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my re revenue than choice silver. The fruit of righteousness is more durable and satisfying than earthly wealth. That's what he's saying there. Verse 20 and 21. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance. I will fill their treasures. He leads in the way of righteousness. How does he lead in the way of righteousness, right? Well, because he lived this life, didn't he? In the flesh. He lived a righteous life. He lived a life obedient to God. He always does those things that please the Father, Jesus says. He went through trial. He went through tribulation. He went through temptation, right? 
tried at all points like as we are, yet without sin. He leads in the way of righteousness. He didn't just command us to walk in the way of righteousness. He goes before us. So that every sin that we're tempted with, he is tempted as well before us. Everything we suffer with, whether it's physical pain and sickness, loss, whatever it is, Jesus suffered it first. If we're hated, he was hated first. Everything we could go through in this life, Jesus did it first, even death. He's been there first. He leads in the way of righteousness. He is the ultimate example that leads us in the way to inherit substance, not shadow. We don't inherit shadow from Christ. We inherit substance, real fruit, real wealth that lasts. Verse 22, and we're going to read a bunch here at one time. We're almost done. Verse 22 through 31 This all kind of goes together. The Lord possessed me, wisdom speaking, in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, uh, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was was I brought forth. While I was, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of of his earth. And my delights were were with the sons of men." We see here the pre-existence of Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Wisdom speaking, saying, before the earth was, I was here. I was with God. I want you to kind of highlight a couple of verses here. Um, I don't want to go through each verse. It kind of all goes together. But look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. This possessing does not speak of Christ being created. Okay, It's not saying he created me here. Right? But it's speaking of the begetting of Christ, right? This day I begotten thee, right? The possessing, he says, he possessed me in that day. In other words, he appointed me. He was appointed the Savior, the Messiah, the chosen one at that point. Speaking of his position, not his creation in verse 22. Uh, but this was before the, the creation of the world. We see this in a couple of verses. Ephesians 1. 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, according as he, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You see that term, before the foundation of the world. Same thing wisdom is saying here. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. But with the precious blood of Christ, as the lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's what he's talking about there. He's, when he said, I was possessed of God, or I was possessed of God before he created the world. It's speaking of his, uh, his foreordination as the Savior, as the Messiah, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world was even created, before Adam was created, long before he even fell, the plan of redemption had already been done. That's why it says that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. Not because he was crucified more than once, but because in God's mind, it was already done. It was already accomplished. 
right? Salvation was accomplished completely in God's mind before he ever laid the foundation of the world. That's what wisdom is talking about here. In verse 30 and 31, we see the relationship of the father and son from eternity past, the perfect joy, fulfillment, and pleasure they had in each other. Verse 30 and 31, then I was, I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Then we go on to verse 32. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. A blessedness falls on those who keep his ways, those who follow him on the path of righteousness, who follow in his example. Verse 33, hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Uh, an important call to get our attention, okay? Because what he's about to say is probably the most important thing in the whole chapter. So hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Okay, verse 34 and 35, blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Here is the blessing, but who is it for? Those who hear the call of God and who daily watch and wait at his gates and his doors. Okay? In light of that reference earlier, remember earlier, the gates and the doors. The gates were the gates of the city. Right? It speaks of the judicial law, the law of Moses, right? They, they established justice in the gate. And the doors represented the temple, the teaching that went forth, the theological teaching about Christ, about God, right? And then, of course, the, the doors of their house, they were to teach. When, when were they to teach their children, right? When they rose up and when they, when, they went, when they went to bed, when they walked by the way. In other words, all the time, constantly teaching the commandments of the Lord, constantly talking about the things of the Lord. So who is this blessing here? He says, blessed is, I'm on the wrong page, blessed is the man that heareth me, okay? Here's the cry of wisdom, which is what? The call of Christ, revealing who God is to us, right? Watching daily at my gates. Those who hear his call will daily work to establish justice, work to establish righteousness, right? Work to, 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 to keep the law. When I say keep the law, I don't mean like we're saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, right? But those who love him, those who hear him, those who seek him won't be committing adultery, won't be bearing false witness, won't be, they will be helping the poor and needy, helping the widow, helping the orphan, establishing justice, right? Those who wait daily at his gate and those who wait at his doors, what does that mean? In his temple, in his word, in his church, in our homes, daily, talking of the things of the Lord, teaching the things of the Lord. That's the blessed person right there. The one who walks in his ways, who teaches others to walk in his ways, who teach their families to walk in his ways, who, who come to the house of God and, and walk in his ways and, and hear the preaching and, and obey it and do what the, the, the word of God says. And those who establish justice and speak up for the orphan and, and the widow, those who are out of abortion clinics, speaking out for those orphans out there, they're establishing justice. That's what the blessed man does. That's what we should be doing. Those who live justly and bring forth justice, those who lean or learn from his word, who model their lives after his precepts. Those who find him, that is Christ, find life. Eternal and abundant life. John chapter 10 tells us about that. Those who find Christ. I can't read my own handwriting. 
obtain the favor of God. Those who find Christ obtain the favor of God. Those who hear his voice, who heed his call, who come to him, who seek him. Remember, those who seek him, find him. Those who seek him obtain the favor of God. Verse 36, the last verse of the chapter, and we're done. You've been very patient. I appreciate it. Verse 36. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me love death. Those that love death or choose eternal death are those who don't hear his voice, who don't listen, who don't heed the call of wisdom, the call of Christ. Those who do so, it says they, they uh, sin. Those that sin against me wrongeth his own soul. Those who turn from the commandment of Christ do so to their own detriment. They destroy their own soul. Seeking after this world destroys the soul. It doesn't build it up. It doesn't give it eternal riches. It destroys the soul. I was preaching on David and Bathsheba on Sunday in L.A. and I told them, David's, you know what David's problem was? He hid his sin, right? He held it inside. He tried to protect his own, his own what's, the, what's the term I'm looking for? Reputation. But what does sin do when it's unconfessed? It destroys the soul. It hardens the heart. It got to the point where David sat there knowing his sin, right? And not just a small sin, right? Like me, I, I have the small sins. I get mad and yell at my wife, right? That's a sin. That's a sin. But I mean, he murdered a man and stole his wife. And still in that story, when he hears the parable of, of the guy who stole the guy's sheep, he stands up with righteous judgment, righteous indignation. He goes, as the Lord lives, this man shall die. As if he's a righteous man. You know why? Because sin deceives us and it hardens us. It destroys our soul. Those who despise the, the words of wisdom, those who despise the call of Christ, they are damaging their own soul. They're choosing death over life. They're choosing the vapor over the substance. But we have this promise, church, and I'm going to end with this. Those who seek him, find him. Not just for salvation, okay? I'm, I'm going to presume most of us in here, minus the children, are probably saved. So let's, let's talk Christian to Christian here. We need to be seeking Christ daily at his gates, at his temple, in his word, in our lives, daily getting to know him, daily hearing his call, daily following his example, daily following him on that path of righteousness. Those who seek him, find him. The more you seek Christ, the more of Christ you will find. The more of Christ I will find. The more we seek to be filled by Christ, the more Christ will fill us. But there can be Christian, there's a Christianity where you're saved, but you stop seeking after Christ. You stop chasing after him. You stop digging for that treasure. What I'm saying is we can't do that. We can't do that. We have to pursue it every day of our lives until we're dead, digging and digging in that field to find that treasure because that treasure is the most worthwhile thing to us. Those who seek him, find him, church. We will seek, if we seek him, we will find him. If we seek more of him, nobody, nobody ever said, no Christian ever said, I came to Christ for more of him and he left me empty. Just like no sinner can say, I came to Christ for salvation, and he turned me away. If we're not full of Christ, it's our fault. He calls us to seek him daily, at his temple, in his gates, at his posts, at his doors. 
We are to seek him. And he says, those who seek me, they will find me. But those who don't, they wrong their own soul. He said, well, I'm already saved, so I'm not damaging my soul. Listen, you are hurting your, sa- your saved soul, right? Remember Lot? I was thinking about Lot in the shower today. I don't know why. I was thinking about Lot. Lot, he vexed his righteous soul. But he was saved. He was a righteous soul. Right? But he vexed his soul. And even when he was called to leave Sodom, what did he say? Send me to this small town over here, just a little bit of Sodom. I don't want to go far away. I just want a little bit of it still. It had such a hold on him. But he couldn't even get his whole family out with him. There's a lot of Christian lots around this world right now who want just a little bit of this world. Listen, God's not, we're going to hurt our souls. We're going to grow hard and deceived by sin if we're not seeking after Christ. Church, seek hard after Christ. Seek for more of Christ and we will find more of Christ. But stop pursuing him. and I promise you, you will grow hard towards sin hard towards Christ, you'll be deceived by your own sin. Remember, remember, those who seek me, find me. That's a promise. If we're not finding more of Christ in our lives, we're not seeking more of Christ. Let's seek more of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening and this time to come together. I know it went kind of long, but I, I just, I was so moved by this chapter today. You're crying out for sinners to come to you. Lord, help us to carry that voice of yours into this world. To say, come to Jesus, be reconciled to God. He's calling for you. If you have ears to hear, hear what his call is to you. But there's a call for the Christian too. Those who seek him, find him. Not just the unsaved, but the saved as well. We need more of Christ. We need more of the Spirit of God. I don't think you're going to turn us away if we're seeking you with all of our heart. If we're dull of hearing, if we're not getting revival, it's not because you're not sending it. It's because we're not seeking you. Who cares if 500 people sit in these pews? Who cares? if we don't have more of you. I'd rather five people be in this church who are sold out to you, seeking you, being filled by you, than 500 people who are not seeking after you, Lord. Help us to be a church, whether five or 500, a church that is seeking after you, seeking more of you. Help us to never get enough of you. And if we seek you, we will find you. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for your word. Thank you for calling out to us. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you for bringing us to life. Thank you so much for the work that you've done enlightening our eyes. We're not simple anymore. We're not dumb sheep wandering around. We're children of the living God. That's a work that you did, Lord. And may we never stop pursuing you on this path of righteousness until we see your face seated on the glorious throne. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Moments in the Word. Lighthouse Gospel Ministries is an outreach ministry focused in street and prison evangelism, as well as reaching the needy with hope and help. To partner with us financially, go to gospelbeacon.org.
All donations are tax deductible. We hope you are blessed and hope you will join us again for Moments in the Word.